Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thank you, Rochelle. Uh, it's really a big privilege to be here. So let me just get myself set up for this. Put the watch there so that I don't keep you until lunchtime. <laughs> so today we, we're continuing with uh, the series from Second Corinthians. I think my Bible is going to have a permanent crease at Second Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. Like I've been spending a lot of time in that passage and it's been so much fun. I hope you've also, also enjoyed it. And we, we're continuing, we're returning actually to the conflict and the um, kind of the fight that there was between Paul, who established the church in Corinth, and the so-called super apostles or the sophists, these um, other teachers that were going around, you know, teaching people, making disciples, but not really preaching the gospel, although they claimed to preach the gospel. And... There was, a, there was a big division in the church and a massive tear-up that, that happened. And we covered all of that in the first uh, sermon in this series. So if you missed the background, I encourage you to go back, back to that. But today what we're going to look at is the conflict in, and the contrast between the message and the ministry that Paul did, Paul and his team of missionaries, and the, the message and the ministry of the, the sophists and the super apostles. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. And just as an introduction, I was, want to point out something that you all know, but that, that's that we live in a world of competing ideas. Right? We, everyone is constantly busy selling you something. Right? Whether that's just an opinion like, you should take the vaccine against COVID-19, right? Someone is, that, that's, a, that's an opinion and it's something that they're offering to you. Or whether it's something like a product that they're promoting or um, a political party that they're, that they're trying to promote, say, no, you must follow this party, vote for this party, or you know, a religion or a worldview, whatever it is, people are constantly offering us um, some kind of a solution, right? They're constantly saying, you know, this is what I've got and this is what I think you should also have. And um, it's not necessarily very forceful, but it's always a matter of, you know, I think you should accept this, right? So we've, we've got this world of, of competing ideas and what you, what you offer people, what you sell, depends on what you think the problem is, right? And what, what you think... The problem is determines the solutions that you offer, right? So let me give you a few examples. One, one problem that I think we can all agree on is that there are lots of people who are poor. And in our, just in our political discourse in this country, you'll hear a lot of people say, no, um, the solution is we must, we must um, privatize all the, all the businesses, state-owned enterprises, South African Airways, it must all be privatized, it must all be private sector so we can get economic growth and, um, you know, give people jobs. That's the answer. And then there's a whole different group of people who say, no, no, no. The answer is actually that we must nationalize everything. We must 
take all the big businesses, all the banks, all the, all the mines, it must be nationalized, it must be managed by the state so that we can equally distribute. And those are two competing solutions to the same problem. Right? Are, let me give you some more examples. Um, people's lives are empty, right? That's, that's another, another problem. And then one of the solutions is, no, you must find meaning in your work or in your family. Solution to feeling empty maybe is you should have children, right? Find, find meaning in, in children. Uh, another solution, uh, it's not normally said out loud, but is consumerism, right? No, your life feels empty, and what you can, you can do is you must have more things. Right? That's, a, that's another solution. Um, or you must be popular. People must admire you, right? That's a social media solution. Let me just briefly mention the last one. People are struggling in life. So the solution is, no, you must maybe go to traditional healers, ceremonies, or uh, transactional transactional uh, religion, that kind of thing. Um, or people are struggling in life. Crime, that's an extreme solution. But some people will actually convince themselves that crime is the answer to their struggles. Others would say, no, it's, it's government-led social programs. That's it. All right, so... My point is lots of, lots of problems, lots of solutions, and what you, what you believe the right solution is depends on what you see the real problem as. I think if we look in our, in our political world today, the reality is that our solutions are often tainted with self-interest. Um, in some instances, very much so. So let's... Um, Get back to Second Corinthians and read from chapter 4. You can read with me and take it from verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So here Paul really gets into, into that contrast between the message that they're bringing and the ministry, the means, right? The way that they bring their message and the contrast between them and, this, and their opponents. So let's um, quickly look at this idea of a message and a ministry. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Right, so this ministry, he's referring, of course, to the gospel ministry. And, and he's been explaining what that is in 
the previous chapter. So he says, notice here, we. Now this we follows on directly from, from the previous verse, which is um, 3 verse 18, where he says, we all. It's a plural we. It's all of us. So this, this ministry that we have as believers is not just a ministry of the pastor, you know, or the, the evangelist or whoever. It's a ministry that we all as believers have. Every, like we like to say, every member is a minister. All right? So I want to tell you a bit about my small group. I've got some of them here. Please wave at the people. Small group. All right? Guys, these are my favorite people. And uh, every, every Wednesday night, it's the highlight of my week every week. <laughs> All right? So the amazing thing about, about our small group is that everyone is contributing. So, so I like to think I'm a pretty good small group facilitator. And it all goes well until someone starts crying. <laughs> and, and then I don't know what to do. <laughs> right? But fortunately, I've got someone like Hanan there who's much better at, at handling situations like that. Right? And we've got such amazing people. You know, we've got Anand's wife, Yani. You know, it's got such a beautiful prophetic gift. Um, we've got Karin, who's got such a gift for empathy. But on the other hand, she's just the life of the party. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in small group with Karin? It's just amazing. <laughs> um, you know, and then we even have some virtual small group members from Germany. We've got Maria and Anwar. You know, Maria being really earnest and direct. And Anwar loves to stir. Like, he's always, like, stirring. He's saying the wrong thing, and he's deliberately, like, just prodding, see what, what's going to happen. You know, so everyone's bringing their gift, you know, and Kurt, with his wisdom and the most amazing dry jokes. Like, I have to hold on to my chair and not... <laughs> Do not roll off. So everyone is contributing their bit. And through that, we are getting the whole picture of the gospel, the whole, the whole ministry of the gospel through everyone's contribution because everyone brings a different side out of this ministry. So, so we, we all have this ministry. Right? And you can have a ministry in one of two ways, right? Either you have that ministry as a recipient of the gospel, or you have it as a giver, right? As a minister who ministers it. Either you can be the object of the gospel, or you can be an agent of the gospel, of that ministry. And we, we all have to be both, but you first have to be a, the object of the gospel. You first have to receive the ministry of the gospel, and then you can also give that, right? And, and he says here, it's by God's mercy. It's God's mercy for you to receive the gospel. It's also God's mercy for you to minister the gospel, because when we minister the gospel, we grow, and we mature, and we get to know more of who God is by actually ministering to others. And we minister it, like Paul says, without losing heart. He says, do not lose heart. And that same phrase that's, that we've got there, in other places, it's translated as we do not grow weary of doing good. So the heart he's talking about here is like an athlete, you know, who, who competes with heart, you know, he, um, or a boxer who keeps on coming back. He's got a big heart. He keeps on fighting. 
right? So, so we, when we minister the gospel, we minister it with heart and soul, and we do not grow weary of ministering the gospel. So, yeah, that is God's mercy once again at work in us, that just to, to empower us to minister like that. So let's, uh, let's move on and then look at what the gospel is by seeing what it isn't. Right, so we've got, again, this, this contrast, and we, we've got a mirror read. You know, there's, we're reading the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and it's kind of like hearing just one side of a conversation. Right? There's, there's a conversation going on, there's a lot of background, a lot of context, and it's like when you hear someone else speaking on the telephone, and you can just hear what they say, but you can't hear what the other person is saying. And so we're, we're listening in on, on Paul's conversation, and we, we have to kind of just look at the, the contrast um, with, the, with his opponents to figure out what, what's going on. So let's look at the, um, the ministry and the message of these super apostles. And we've, we've been talking about this in the series before. Their message was based around the problem that people are not successful, and that People, people struggle in life, they're not successful, and the message is you must be, move up in life to be successful. It's all about getting ahead, moving up. This is their message. You know, they were philosophers, they were trying to tell people how to live, what, what kind of life to live and to get ahead. And the message that they were, were sharing um, came down to what, we, what we've summarized as the victory of man. Right? So not the victory of God in your life, not God coming through for you, but actually you stepping up for yourself, you, um, you know, overcoming your challenges, moving up without submitting to God. And it's a, it's a, it's a message of, you know, you have to be successful, you have to be stronger, you, you have to, in a way, be your own man. Right? And also what we saw in Sorry, I'm going over this very quickly, but we've covered this in the, in the previous uh, messages in the series. So if you missed it, please go, go back. Um, is that for them, it was more important to, to have a good appearance than to actually have the substance, right? The, to look like good people and to look like they, they are very religious and very faithful, even if they didn't have that true religion or weren't really faithful. So let's look at their message in verse 5. Um, chapter 4 verse 5 he says for what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake so Paul is saying this about their message and ministry but we can also see it as a contrast to the message from the from his opponents so preaching ourselves right so that makes you you're the standard right we if you preaching yourself it means you, um, that you almost make, you want, you want people to say, this is what I need to measure up to. This is the example that, that I, was, I must measure up to, to, to become successful. Right? And when they, they preach themselves, they preach themselves as Lord. Not Jesus as Lord, but we are the Lords. We are the, the image that you must conform to. So, think about this idea of, of an image you conform to. 
the Springbok rugby team, right? I know we've got some big fans here. They determine what rugby players in the whole country aspire to, right? They, they determine the image that all other rugby players are going to conform themselves to. Or another example, if you look at a, a CEO of a company, that CEO determines what the whole company is going to be like. Like the whole company in the end is going to reflect the leader of that business. So the Lord, in a sense, whichever Lord you preach, that is the Lord that, we, that you conform to. It's his image that you conform to. And these, these super apostles, these opponents of Paul, were really elevating themselves to say, we are the example that you must conform to. So, you know, this, this leader, it's a, almost like a, a cult of personality type of situation. And notice here, Paul says, we preach ourselves as your servants. His opponents were not preaching themselves as servants at all. Rather, they were preaching themselves as someone who's moving up in the world. Servants were the lowest rank in their society. Right? So the, the, the opposite of that is moving up in the social ranks. And... Um, so, so I think I can summarize their message as salvation by moving up, becoming stronger, being more successful. And if you have this view of the world that the way that you find meaning and purpose and salvation in life is by moving up in life, and I think a lot of people in our city have this view, that's going to determine everything about your life. It's going to determine where you work, what jobs you, you do, will determine who you, who you marry, what, um, what school you send your children to, which people you associate with and not associate with, because if that's your view of the world, it will influence everything that salvation, according to this view, is moving up. Let's quickly look at how they, how they ministered, right? What was the, their ministry like? And in verse 2, um, Paul says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Right. So for these guys, their goal in life was fame, fortune, following. They wanted to be famous, they wanted money, they wanted people to admire and follow them. And the way that they did this was through deception. They, would, they loved using the Bible and using um, the Old Testament to, to preach a message that looked a lot like Christianity. It was, but it was their philosophy with a Christian spin on it, you could say. Right? So they were deceiving people to say, you know, what we're giving you is Christianity when actually... It was not at all. And this is where the whole conflict that, that Paul had with these people came from, is that they were not preaching the true gospel. They were distorting God's word for their own purposes. So the gospel is not, let me, let's summarize the, what the gospel is not. The gospel is not being saved by getting stronger and moving up in life. And it's not just wisdom to have a better life. Right? The gospel is not a self-help book. 
to somehow improve your life. And it's not a way to just get the, the things that you want, right? Those, the, the things that you, that you really, really want, those, those idols in your heart. The gospel is not a way for you to somehow get that, right? Now you might say to me, sure, okay, that, that's nice, but celebrity philosophers is not really, really our problem in the world today. You know, they're not really <laughs> so popular and I'd say, no, I think, I think they are. These are your, your social media influencers. Right? These are that, those people on Instagram that's showing you, you know, this is the life that you need. This is what the good life looks like. And follow me. Let me show you how to do it. Let me um, explain to you the good life. Our social media influencers are actually our, um, our sophists today, the people Yes, our celebrity philosophers, or it, also in, on YouTube. On YouTube, you can find people telling you how, anything from how to get rich quick, a six-pack in six days, or how to live a happy and fulfilled life, right? You can find all of this. And, and the reason I'm, I'm laboring this point is I want us to think about what are the, the problems and solutions that we are maybe accepting without maybe interrogating it as much as we should. Are we, are we seriously thinking about the solutions that the world is offering us? Right? Because there's, there's really a lot of things out there. Let me quickly mention just a few other common solutions that I see just in our culture. The other solution that could be career solution, right? The way that you're fulfilled and happy and you know, find meaning in life is by your career. Or another common one is the romantic solution. And if you don't have a romantic partner, then you feel like your life is falling apart because, you know, that's what the world is telling you you absolutely have to have for a, for a happy life. Then there's family solution, right? You have to have the family and stability and the, that whole picture. And these are just things that our culture is kind of communicating to us, sometimes very subtly, not so overtly saying, you know, you have to have a family with 2.4 children on average, and that's, that's the answer to life. It's not, it's not so overt, but in, it's almost like it's in the drinking water. It's in the media. It's in the things that people talk about. We get these, we get offered these solutions. And, and, and Solutions become idols when we invest transcendent expectations in them. Right? When having a family is no longer just having a family, but a way to, to feel like you matter in the world. That's when, that's when these solutions become our idols. So enough about what the gospel is not. Let's look at what Paul says the gospel is. And this part is very exciting. Let's first define the problem. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Paul's identifying the, the big problem at the heart of humanity. And he's saying our problem is that we can't see God. We don't know his image. 
Right? We can't see God physically. Maybe that should make us ask, if I can't see God physically and God is spirit, can I see him spiritually? Are my spiritual eyes open to see God? So Paul says, we cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So when you see, you see the light that's reflected of an object. Right? There's a light source, and what you see is actually not the object itself, it's that light that's, that's reflecting from the object, that's hitting, hitting your eyes. And when you're blinded, you can't see. Right? So, you, so even if there is light, you need sight. And Paul is saying our problem is that, that we can't see, we can't see who Jesus is. We can't see the image of God, who God is. And that is at the heart of, of what's wrong with people. And let me just quickly dwell on how powerful sight is. When we see things, it, it changes us. Right? So I'm not a parent yet, but I've been through, I've had this experience a couple of times where you know, someone close to me has a baby and a few days after you ask them, how is it going? How are you doing? And they say, we're in love. <laughs> right? and, and it looks like, especially with the first child, the moment that they see that baby, their lives change forever. They're immediately different people. I mean, grandparents are even worse. Wow. <laughs> like, the moment that there's a grandchild, your parents change. <laughs> there's a whole other side to them that you never knew that comes out. See, and, and it's like the moment that we see, we are changed. Think about a biblical example. Think of um, Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And then he's completely undone. He's wrecked. That experience completely wrecked him. But it also, also changed him. He was not the same after that. Also, the, there's, the, there's the negative side of seeing. Think about the negative side of being exposed to something like pornography. How negatively that affects us. And then, just the, the previous verse in, in chapter 3, verse 18, says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the same image but now, where am I? <laughs> Into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 18. So when we, when we behold the glory of the Lord, it changes us. So that's, a, that's the power of seeing. And Paul actually says here that there's a supernatural power at work to keep us blind, to keep us from seeing. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. So there's a supernatural power that's trying to keep you from seeing. And Paul here is talking about Satan, and he, he uses, in his different letters, he uses different ways to, to describe Satan. Here he calls him God of this age. So, so there's, a, there's a measure of uh, sovereignty he, can, he, has, he has the ability to do things, but he's also limited. 
right? He's temporally limited. It's just for this age. And, there's, so that, and that's giving us hope, right? It's not, a, it's not absolute power to blind people. In, in verse 3, he says, those who are perishing, not those who have perished. It's not, it's not a final. There's a hope that those who are perishing now can have their eyes opened, can have sight, receive sight to see the glory of Christ that they're at the moment being blinded from seeing. So I want to ask you some diagnostic questions to, to ask yourself whether you actually have been blinded from seeing the glory of the Lord. Maybe you're saying Christianity, yeah, it's a nice idea, but it's just not of interest to me. Then I want to suggest to you that maybe you just haven't seen the glory of Jesus Christ yet. Or you might say, you know, religion, coming to church is just a way for me to soothe my conscience. All right? It's a way for me to feel better about myself or perhaps just to be a little bit more spiritual. You know, I want to be a bit more spiritual, so I'm going to church. You haven't seen the glory of Jesus Christ. If church is just about keeping your end of the bargain so that God can keep his end of the bargain and bless you and give you the things that you actually want, then you haven't realized that Jesus is the most precious thing that you could ever have. Relationship with him, seeing him, is the most precious thing that you can ever have. And nothing else that you could desire that you're trying to twist God's arm for is worth the, what Jesus can offer you as a his salvation and a relationship with him. So what does Paul say is our solution? What does he believe about the solution to this problem of blindness? Let's read verse 6. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Of course, you can hear that Paul's quoting from Genesis chapter 1. He's maybe paraphrasing a little bit. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the solution to our problem of blindness is that God speaks into our darkness to give us the light to see Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. He, when we are in that darkness, when the, when the earth was still completely in darkness, God spoke. He speaks into your darkness to, to say, here's the word of God. Notice when God speaks, it's his word that brings that light, that opens our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. So this is whole person salvation. Notice that the light is spoken into our hearts, right? So it changes your heart. The, the light also brings knowledge to your mind. And in the previous verse, verse 5, Paul wrote about how the gospel is making us servants, right? How Jesus served us and we can serve others. So the gospel is, is coming to you through the word of God. It changes your mind, it changes your heart, and it changes 
what you do with your body, how you live in this world with your body. So it's, it's whole person salvation. And this is the solution that Paul is, is holding out to us. And he gives us this message in the way that verse 5 describes. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he's saying it's, it's no cult of personality. Right? You're not being saved because your pastor is so cool, although our pastor is pretty cool. Right? Or you're not being saved because you, you know, follow the right people, you listen to the right podcasts. Right? It's not the, the leaders that save you. They are just servants who are serving you in the gospel of Jesus. So, so Paul says we don't preach ourselves because we don't think we have anything in ourselves that can save you. Then he says, but what we preach is Jesus Christ as Lord. This is, this is Paul's summary statement in a way of what the gospel is. And it means that if Jesus is Lord, then you are not. Right? It means that, that you have now given over the lordship of your life and you've given it to Jesus. You've come under new management. Right? Your salvation and your life is no longer your own responsibility. It's now in Jesus' hands. You're not trusting him to, to save you. You're trusting him to know what is best for you and what you need. Right? And the image that you conform to is no longer one that you have to choose. Jesus is Lord. He's the one that's now determining the image that we are going to conform to. We're going to conform to Jesus' image. We're going to become more and more like him. And I think that is good news. Right? This is not yeah, this is not humanism, right? This is not like you are okay and and we just need to improve you a bit. This is Jesus is the is the standard. Look at I want to say look at the world around us. Pick up the newspaper and see what happened when we all started to conform to our own ideas of what what we ought to be. It's it's chaos. We need to conform to Jesus' image. And then the last phrase he uses, he says, we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. So again, this idea of a servant of low rank. Paul is saying, um, we're not trying to, to increase in rank. We're not trying to move up in our social standing. But we are taking low rank. So this is the, this is the way of the cross. It's We become stronger through weakness it's it's the resurrection on the other side of the cross right it's strength made perfect in weakness so the message of the gospel is not that you must save yourself it's that you acknowledge your weakness that you can't save yourself and you trust jesus you trust his strength so that his strength makes your weakness overcomes your weakness that's the message. That's the gospel. So now, at this point in the, in the series, I think we've got a, a pretty full picture of what salvation is. Right? And this is not necessarily in a specific order, but just look at what we've covered. Firstly, God breaks into our darkness with his word, with the, with, and he gives us light. Right? Jesus, we saw in the, in the first um, 
message from the series, Jesus defeats our rebellion. And, and then when we turn to Christ, the veil that is blinding us gets removed. We get, you know, when we're blinded, you take the veil away, you receive sight. So the veil is removed. And then our hard hearts being turned to flesh. And we become a new creation. Right? Paul, in this last verse that we read, is, is bringing up the, the creation account. And the, I'll say the full picture, maybe it's not completely full, but a pretty, pretty good one, is that at the end of this work of God, and notice, none of this was your work. At the end of it, he makes you a new creation. When God gave you light, when he conquered your rebellion, when he um, turned our hearts to him, and when the veil was removed, that's, that's all his work. It's none, of it, none of that is your work. And, and he makes us a new creation. But he also highlights for us a deeper problem. If we go back to, to Genesis 1, Right? It says that it was still complete darkness. The whole earth was in darkness when God said, let there be light. Right? So the, the creation of the sun only came a few days later. Now, whether you interpret Genesis 1 literally, figuratively, you can ask any of the difficult questions. All I'll say is, Paul took this text and he, he took it as the word of God and he applied it to our salvation to explain what God does when he saves us. And it, it explains that we have such a deep problem. It's even deeper than, than what we realize at first. We have no good in ourselves. Right? So if, if you've been following this series, you might say, okay, maybe I was a bit rebellious, but... I can change, or maybe my heart was hard, but it can be softened, right? Or perhaps my vision is slightly obscured, but, you know, I can fix that. Right? And you might say, I'm, I'm bad, but I can be fixed. No. This, this image that Paul uses says, you are completely hopeless without the light of the gospel. None of that... Um, stuff in your heart that you think you can fix. No, that doesn't work. You are completely in darkness. Our problem is much deeper, right? It's, this is not humanism that says people are essentially good, but somehow have become corrupted by outside forces and can become better, progressively better and better, right? That, that's the humanist way, and that's what a lot of people in the world believe, is that no, actually, I'm good. I'm not as bad as, as it seems. And, you know, these issues, you know, the, the problems in my life that keep tripping me up, those, those are actually just deviations. Now, the Bible says that is who you are. Those problems are who you really are. So with a deeper problem, there's also a deeper solution. In the old creation, God took darkness that was neutral darkness, right? It wasn't bad or good in itself. And out of that darkness, he created order, he created life. In the new creation, he's taking darkness that is sinful, that is 
turned against him, right? The darkness of the human heart that is in rebellion against God. And he's making a new creation. He's making life and order out of that. So that it's even a, a greater work that God is doing in our hearts when he saves us than what he did when he made the world out of the darkness that was there in Genesis 1 verse 1. What a great salvation. And now we've got the new creation being restored in the image of God. You know, man lost God's image. Man was originally made in God's image, but we lost that. And we've regressed to the point of uncreation where there is no more resemblance between man and God. And instead, I think we resemble what Paul called the God of this age a lot more. But through the new creation, God is restoring his image. Through us seeing, through giving us sight of the gospel of glory of Jesus, he's giving us that sight and he's changing us. We're becoming more and more in the image of the Son of God. We are being restored. And that is the, that is the gospel. That is the good news. So I want to also just give you an opportunity here. If you read Genesis 1 verse 2, and it, and it seems to describe you, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And you maybe experience that formlessness, emptiness, darkness in your own life. And you, start, you realize that you haven't seen the glory of Jesus. The, the gospel has just you know, been dark to you. But you can feel today that the Spirit of God is hovering. That God is prompting your heart. Then I want, then I want to give us an opportunity to, to just respond to that message. Can we all stand, please? Yeah. Um, also, thank you for, for everyone who's uh, tuning in on YouTube. And yeah, if, you, if you realize that you haven't seen the glory of Jesus... Now, I want you to just invite you to come forward. Um, we'd love to, to pray with you. God is already starting to reveal himself to you. So, yeah, let's, let's all close our eyes, please. Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for your gospel that... Your word that reveals the glory of Jesus. Lord, and I thank you that today, that today you are shining that light into our hearts to give us that sight, to give us the view of, of who you are. Lord, and I want to pray for everyone who has not yet received that light. Lord, that today you open their eyes, that you give them that sight to see who you really are, to see how glorious you are, to see how amazing and, Lord, how you exceed everything else. Lord, how your light, Lord, makes every other light look dim. Lord, and I, yeah, so I pray, Lord, that through your spirit, you, 
you open our eyes today. Uh, and if there's anyone here today who realizes that you haven't yet seen, seen that glory, you haven't yet been unveiled to see who Jesus really is, then please do come forward. We'd love to pray with you. And also for, for anyone who's, who's watching on YouTube, I want to invite you to just respond to God and to say, Lord, please open my eyes to see who you really are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes, I just was want to um, highlight what um, what Neil said and what he said about the gospel, about becoming a Christian. Is also true, and this is very important if you are a Christian. The same is true. The way you become a Christian is the way you grow as a Christian. The way we give the way that you become the Christian a Christian is by having your sight restored, the veil taken away, the light of the gospel shone into your heart, and you seeing the image of God in Christ Jesus. Then growing as a Christian is is the same. You need to see the image of God to progressively become more like that image, become more like Jesus, be conformed to that image. And so often we as Christians make the mistake of getting in the right way, but then forgetting how we got in and trying to grow in a different way, except by just focusing on Jesus and seeing Jesus as the image of God, seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel and being conformed to that image. We do all kinds of other things, we are distracted by all kinds of other images in the world which the world is constantly holding up to us. And I just want to invite us as Christians, let's recommit ourselves and say, Lord, I'm recommitting myself to behold the image of God in Christ Jesus because I realize that what I behold, I become. So just close your eyes there we are, if you are a Christian, and just recommit yourself and say, Lord, help me to behold you, Jesus, and to constantly become more like you, Jesus. Just in your own words, I'm just going to give you a minute or so. Lord God, that even as your people, even as Christians, we are often so distracted, Lord, by the images, all the different and often impressive and spectacular images that the world holds up to us. And so often we neglect to gaze at you. And we realize that we become what we behold. And we want to behold you, Jesus, because we want to become like you, Jesus. 
We want to see you, Jesus, and savor you for who you are. Delight in you and become like you. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord. We pray, Lord, where, where some of us have allowed the veil, Lord, that you have removed, Lord, allow the God of this age to partially replace that veil again so that our sight of you is obscured, Lord, our vision of you is obscured, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name that you'll just tear that, that veil away again and that we'll be able to see you clearly, Jesus. Please help us, Lord. Please help us, Lord, to behold you and to become like you more and more, to be transformed into your image. Lord, that reflected in our lives, the people of this world may see your glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I just want to also encourage you, um, Neil was sharing with us that we, because of the nature of the gospel and the gospel ministry, we do not lose heart. If the gospel was just try harder, do better, be stronger, we would lose heart because the problem in us is a supernatural problem like Neil was saying. And we need a supernatural solution to that supernatural problem. And the problem we see in the people around us is a supernatural problem. A just a little pep talk will not solve that problem. They also need a supernatural solution, a gospel supernatural solution to that supernatural problem. But we have that supernatural solution. That's what the gospel is. That's why we don't lose heart. Because we have a supernatural solution to the supernatural problem that humanity has. And that solution is strong enough to save us. And it's strong enough to save the people around us. There is hope for even the worst sinner, the most fallen, the most broken, the most devastated, the most perverted person in the world. Because there's hope for everyone. The power of God in the gospel is power more stronger than the power of the devil to blind and to destroy. That is why we don't lose heart. So with that confidence, let's go out into this world and know that we're going out with a supernatural solution to a supernatural problem that can genuinely, truly save people who need to be saved. Lord, I just pray your blessing over your people in Jesus' name, Lord, that Lord, that excitement of knowing that we are, yes, we are jars of clay. Yes, we are cracked and we are broken in many places. But, Lord, what's inside of us, that treasure inside of us is a, is a glorious, supernatural treasure. And it shines even through the cracks in these jars of clay, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we'll go out with that joy and that excitement, Lord, knowing that what we carry inside of us is supernatural. It's eternal. It's powerful. And it can change lives. And that will take heart because of that. In Jesus' name, I just pray, Lord, so much hope, so much joy, so much peace, so much encouragement of your saints, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The Lord bless you as you go. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com